Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. In this show today, I'm going to have guest co-host Anna Vucino back, and we are going to talk about kitchen, food, and cooking. And she is the cooking veteran, while I am the cooking newbie. Maybe we'll keep this segment going for a while. Let me know. So in this conversation, she and I talk about onions, (laughs) a really simple question, but we do talk about that. Batch cooking. We talk about going to the grocery store versus meal planning, sharpening knives, what to eat for for breakfast, the things you really need to buy, the type of knives. We talk about cooking with olive oil and stepped on olive oil. So you are going to hear what really goes on in my mind as I've been doing this cooking journey over the past couple of years, learning how to cook. And then you'll hear Anna talk about from her experience and also in writing her cookbook. So I will circle back after this conversation and thanks so much for listening. And let me know, what do you think of this segment? Do you like these cooking newbie conversations? Hello and welcome back, Anna Vocino. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me. And I'm excited. We're going to talk about kitchen food and cooking. One of my favorite subjects. Well, remember, I'm the cooking newbie over here. Right. And you're the cooking expert. So I think this will be good because wait till you hear the questions that I have for you. Oh, wow. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> I hope I can answer them. Oh, well, one of the questions we'll just start because, you know, I know the the uh, what is it? The apprehension. What is it? Oh, my gosh, I'm losing words. Um, the <laughs> excitement for it. Right. Is when I was I made fajitas this week, nice. and I was taking you know that dirty layer of skin off, and then I and then I was taking oh off. the chicken skin that that frightens you yeah so I was t- yeah well the, no this is on the onions I'm sorry <laughs> oh the onion skin you have a whole thing about skin I think how are you with banana peels do they gross you I, I, no I'm good about them because they're clean <laughs> or at least what I can see I don't like banana peels because you have to peel that little that string. If it doesn't catch the right way, you have to peel the string that didn't go to, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> so with the onion, you take off that, you know, that paperish type yeah. of thing. Mm-hmm. And then I was taking off a whole nother layer of the onion. Should I be doing that or not? Because that seems like a big waste. Well, it, yeah, that's a great question. And I, I think I think every home cook struggles with the, do I take a, off an extra layer of the onion? Um <laughs> You know, if you're obviously if you're trying to maximize what you've got in the kitchen, you might not want to. But I find that that outer layer layer of onion kind of alternates in width, and sometimes it can get paper thin, and that gets that hard outside that's similar to the the brown paper. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but then if you take the whole thing off, <clears throat> it'll be much more uniform. But it does seem like you're wasting it. So it it's it's onion dependent. But um, it, it yeah, it depends on what you want to do. I don't like having the tough bits of onion or if anything has a little like, you know, dirt on it, mold, not dirt, but mold growing on it or anything like that. You know, you kind of want to get the whole thing off. So wait, you don't throw the whole onion away if there's a little bit of mold? <laughs> I don't. Sometimes I just cut off the edge. It depends because the mold is in the skin and you'd be surprised how much grocery store onions have crap in them. So yeah, obviously when you buy one, you want to make sure that, you know, you don't have any of that on there, but sometimes you get some of that on there. I mean, listen, it's, it's difficult because they're unsure as to whether like the whole onions filled with mold or not. Mm-hmm. Now I wouldn't do that with an apple. I don't know why I wouldn't do it with bread. I don't eat bread, but you know what I mean? Any mm-hmm. sort of like good like that. I just throw the whole thing away. But um, sometimes onions have like a little spot on them and you can cut that off generally and use it. Well, you know, I actually say this is much growth because I had avocados that I bought and they were in a, you know, little satchel or whatever. And I opened it up this week Mm -hmm. and one side of it was just molding. I was like, oh, gross. So I cut it open and the other half was fine. And actually the half on the inside was fine, but I couldn't go there. So I threw half the avocado away and I ate half the avocado. So it was great. I I feel you. And especially when you're like, when you buy avocados, you think to yourself, 
I got to time this guacamole for just the right day (laughs) because you take it six hours too far and half of them have rotted out. But if you take it too soon, it doesn't taste good. It doesn't have that ripe, soft avocado flavor and texture, you know, so avocados can be tricky like that. I've, I've thrown out many an avocado and felt very guilty because they're quite expensive. They are. Yeah, they're what, two fifty or two sixty nine each. And like the, I just laugh at myself over here as we're talking or I'm laughing with myself because, yes, these are the dilemmas in my mind while I'm in the kitchen. I get stressed right. out about don't want to waste that avocado. I know. <laughs> I know. I And I feel less guilt about throwing away fruits and vegetables, but I, I definitely have that guilt about throwing away any any meat because it's like, well, an animal died for this. So let's try to actually eat it up and use it up. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're humans and we don't always use up all the meat that's in the fridge before it goes bad. Is that cooked meat or uncooked meat? Either one. Okay. Either one. I, I really, I find for me, I have to go to the store about every two to three days. I would like to go every day if I had time because I find that cooking for me is such a like uh, done on whimsy and inspiration kind of thing. So I'll, if, if I go and try to do the, I'm going to plan seven meals ahead of time, I'm not going to stick to that. That's my personality type. And I'll be like, I don't feel like chicken tonight. I want to make this thing or I'd rather go out tonight. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So. I like to keep it in a very European sense when when I I go to the market. Um, Almost every day I go to the grocery store. You know, that's a really good thing to talk about because just the other day I had to give myself permission because I could could start to beat myself up and say, Corinne, if you're just more organized, if you just had it together, you would come here on Sunday mornings, you would load up this cart, and you wouldn't come back till Sunday. And one, that just... We go through fresh fruit food so quickly. Yeah, that's the. I mean, the fresh food has got to be replaced so often, especially when you're trying not to eat any processed foods and you're only eating fresh foods. You will have to go to the store more, and you do have to plan ahead. You do have to kind of have an idea of like, okay, well, tonight, you know, that that grass fed ribeye is going to expire and it costs thirteen dollars, so <laughs> I better, I better make that tonight. You know, there is a certain level of of planning ahead. <clears throat> However, there have been many times when I've been like, ah, screw it. Let's just go get Mexican food. Mm -hmm. And then I have to wind up throwing stuff away. I think being really aware of the due dates of the fresh food, especially the meats, being kind of like have a mental note of that so you make sure you cook it up. But I I don't know. When you figure out your personality type, it really does kind of reflect into the kitchen as well. Some people are really wonderful about only going to the store once a week and getting everything together. And they freeze the thing. Because that's the other thing. You can't buy, I don't care what you say, you can't buy a piece of meat on Monday and expect it to last on till Saturday or Sunday. Because meat's not, especially fresh meat's not designed to last that long. So you are going to have to freeze some stuff. And then then you have to plan ahead and take something out of the freezer in time for it to thaw and blah, 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 blah. Um, but yeah, there's some folks who are super organized and I've just made peace with the fact that I am not super organized. Okay. So now I have a, I have a <laughs> about, qu- about the, about plant meal planning. So I have a question cause I have some flank steak sitting in my fridge. I can't mm-hmm. remember. I've got to think about when I bought it. Uh Oh, I might've bought it on Sunday. Does that mean it's bad? Even if the expiration date on there is still good. It might be okay. Uh, red meat tends to last a little longer. Okay. Um, smell it. <laughs> Sometimes flank steak, though, you can open it up and because it, it, I swear they do this at the grocery store where it looks nice and pink uh-huh. and then you open it up and it's like gray on the inside. I hate that because then I'm always like, ew. But OK, so let's talk about that because I, the butch- I throw it away because I don't like that. The butcher has taught me that's a way to age the meat. OK, so then maybe that's my ignorance there because I'm like, if it smells slightly funny and has that gray thing, I throw it out. If it mm-hmm. has the gray thing and it doesn't smell funny, I'll, I'll cook it. See, I'm too afraid to smell it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, with, with cooking, you have to rely on your nose a lot. And because until it gets cooked, you can't t- – and you have to taste a lot, but obviously you're not going to taste raw meat. You want you, you have to taste the entire time through. You're going to waste a lot of spoons when you cook because you've got to taste what you're cooking. Oh, I, I can do that, but I just don't want to smell the raw meats. <laughs> I know. Well, generally, if it's not good, you can kind of smell it from a mile away. So I have a solution to my smelling the raw meats. What do you do? Well, if my husband's home, I have him smell it. Oh, that's but, good. But if he's not home, I go to my neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> you just, you're going to find somebody to smell that meat so you don't have to. I don't blame you. 
<laughs> That's definitely one thing I'm willing to outsource. <laughs> That's so funny. Now, I get it because I couldn't d- handle raw meat when I was pregnant. And it took a while to get back into the swing of raw meat, like cooking with it and handling it. Because that just really made me want to barf. Yeah, you know, I have that thing about just I'm so much better about touching the raw meat. But the smell, maybe I'll get there. But right You've progressed. <laughs> You'll work your way up to it. All right. So the grocery store thing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Just the fact that you say you go about every day. It's like it's that common humanity. It's like, oh, OK, I'm not doing it wrong because... You know, I tr- I probably go to every two days. I try to you know do that. And here, so here's how I do my meal planning. Um, I'll try to go usually sometime on Sunday and get food, especially for Monday, Sunday night, and Monday, because um, Monday's always crazy and busy. And then I you know I like to buy whatever meats on sales. So that's kind of how I s- schedule some of my meal planning. Mm-hmm. And so I bought a bunch of flank steaks. So one night we had. Uh, like a Korean style flank steak that I mm. grilled up. And then the next night we had chick- or steak fajitas. So, you know, but it's, and so sometimes, or sometimes what we'll do is we'll have the same meal twice. So maybe we'll have it on Monday night and then Wednesday night. Right. And I do that. And so that way, because for me to have to think of a new thing every night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, well, I, I know freshening it up is, is especially now that I've been married as long as I have and I've, been made. There are certain dishes that are so easy. If I know that folks are coming over, I will always make, I call it my Pittsburgh turkey, turkey chili, but it's really like a Cincinnati based chili. Um, I've made it probably since the day we got married and I've just been evolving, evolving it. And I just can't believe my husband still eats it because I've made it so much. It's on my blog. It's quite a good chili recipe. Um, but, um, Freshening it up is important. That's why that's why I'm doing this cookbook because mm-hmm. I that's me. I am the home cook who has to cook for a family. I'm not a chef. I don't buy all kinds of fancy ingredients. I just want fresh food. I want it to taste good. I want there to be enough of a variety where you know everyone's happy. And um, I don't use fancy proteins. Like I hate when you get a cookbook and it's like pigeon or rabbit or I'm like <laughs> I'm not what who I don't eat that way. It's steak. I mean, it's beef, chicken, pork, seafood. Easy, easy, accessible stuff. And, um, you know, that that's why I'm writing it. And um, I will I will say I do go to the grocery store a lot more during this cookbook writing process because I have to not only did I have to make the recipes a bajillion times, but then I had to photograph them. Mm-hmm. So after the recipes were all now, I still have about 25 more pictures to take of recipes. So I'm going to have like a hundred of the 150 recipes photographed. It has been the most labor intensive thing. I would never, if, if they, if two years ago, if I could back it up, I would tell myself, don't do it. (laughs) It's such a pain in the ass. But what have you learned from your cook doing, writing this cookbook? Um, I've learned a lot from, from how to write a recipe to how to, because I've always been pretty good at interpreting recipes and and kind of getting it. Also, how to write a recipe from the sense that like, because I've followed so many recipes, I know where they skip steps now. Mm-hmm. Like I can pinpoint that and fill in the gaps. I get that. Um, a lot of folks can't do that because they're t- doing this for the first time. And they don't understand that, that you have to, um, like for instance, making a sweet potato hash or any kind of potato hash. First of all, you have to have a cast iron skillet if you really want to get that sear oh, on the potato. Okay, we have to talk about this because okay. I've been making those. I don't have a ca- well. Okay, I do have a cast iron, so we need to. You need. I need your question. Answer this question. Okay. So it's an old cast iron, and we probably haven't used it since we've been in this house. So 13, 14 years. I mean, my husband used to cook on it all the time. That's fine. Um, and it's seasoned. So what do I do? Like, how do I? <laughs> do I need to wash it? Like, I've yeah, been told- wash it. Yeah, but you can wash it. I've been told you're not supposed to use soap to wash it. That kind of freaks out the. Oh, con- I, yeah, I don't know. Probably not. The purists probably wouldn't just use a sponge and like clean it off and leave the leave the bits in there for the next thing you make. But when you're talking about 13 year old bits, I would want to clean it. Okay. Okay. So I'm so- sure there's probably some solvent or some sort of specific cast iron cleaning thing that's better that I don't even know about. I'm sure I'm trashing all of my pans and I'm a huge a hole. <laughs> treating my kitchenware, but you know, I, I do kind of wash things because 
It, it's, it is okay to, there are some bits left because there are some things that will not come out of a cast iron pan. Like it's just, it's in there. So, you basically are going to cook it off. So when you, so for instance, I, I read a recipe for a, a hash one time, this is years ago, and I never understood why for years, every time I made the hash, I followed this recipe to a T and it would become basically sweet potato mush. And what I finally figured out, the step that they weren't saying, because they would say, stir, you know, stir your hash until you get the even sear. What they weren't saying is let it sit. It has to sit for like five minutes longer than you want it to. It has to sit in there and get the sear on it. But if you keep stirring it, you're going to basically, you're mashing the potatoes. Oh, see, because the way I make mine more like pancakes where I put them in there and I Mm -hmm. let them cook and then I flip them over. Perfect. That's great. See, that's something that I didn't know from this particular recipe. Mm-hmm. I can't remember whether it was like a Martha Stewart or whatever. And I'm not throwing anybody under the bus. But um, that is something I have learned in the in the recipe writing process. There is a, little, a dirty little secret in the food industry mm. uh, uh, that people will write recipes and not necessarily test them. Or they'll write a recipe off of making the recipe one time, realize there should have been a tweak, and instead of remaking it to make sure that tweak takes care of the problem, they'll just change, you know, say, whatever the changes. Instead of a quarter of a cup, use a two tablespoons. That'll fix it without actually testing it. So there are actually a lot of unreliable recipes out there. So, you, you know, I, my goal is to make some very reliable recipes. You can follow it. Every step is taken care of. And um, they're not that hard because, frankly, I don't want to be bothered with difficult recipes with like 10 different components. <laughs> I can't do that. Well, so, Anna, that's why I adore you because you don't half-ass it. <laughs> you know I don't, honey. You and know, you know I don't. You know how I feel about that. <laughs> Yo, I, do not half-ass it when Corinne's around. She will give you an earful. <laughs> Especially if you're her kids. <laughs> yeah, but seriously, your kids put away a pan that wasn't clean. Yes. That's amazing. <laughs> well, they, they washed it, but I don't think they really, you know, it's amazing. Anyways. <laughs> they wash it like, you mean they kind of rinse it and then just throw it back in the thing. There was still oil in the pan. <laughs> and it was not a cast iron pan. Okay, so going back to the sweet potatoes. Yes. So a cast iron, like, remember I'm the cooking newbie. The yeah. cast iron pan, things stick to it. So do you have to put a lot of oil in there? Butter? Well, you could, yeah, any, whatever you want. Not a lot. Not a lot. Maybe a tablespoon. Well, here's the thing. When you're making a hash, you're going to cook up the vegetables first anyway, and vegetables need some oil. So you're going to maybe use a tablespoon of oil, chop up whatever you want to put in there, chop the onions nicely, a little, red, you know, whatever, mini peppers, whatever. Whatever savory vegetable that you like to have in your hash. Um, this particular recipe I was doing was for a rosemary sweet potato hash. So I was doing the, the onions and peppers and get them really soft. So the oil's already in there. So then when, and I also pre-boil the pieces, the chunks of sweet potato. And the other thing is press it dry, get the water out because the water will also make it mushy if you don't kind of press it or don't, without smushing it, but you know, pat it dry nicely. Now, do, do you put egg in your sweet potato? Um, I don't because I don't eat egg. Oh, that's right. Yeah, but you can. That sounds good. Mm-hmm. Um, I might make it separately and just have like, if I ate egg and cheese, I would have a little scrambled eggs with cheese and then the sweet potatoes to hash on the side. I think um, when I had Abel James, Fat Burning Man, on my show, I, he yeah. had sent me a copy of his uh, book, and so I think that was the recipe that I followed. And so he put the eggs in, and I really like them. So it's great. There's some protein in there. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, it's like that. That's like a also one of my favorite things is is a one pot meal, and that's a perfect one pot meal. Yeah, I really like. I it. like that, and it's I've, easier in the kitchen too. And you just feed everybody from one pot. Well, <laughs> just and the, eat that. The other thing I've told my kids, I go, why don't you have this instead of pancakes? You know, is especially if it's just egg and and sweet potato. It's so sweet and yummy. Yeah, it tastes like a pancake, but you're not eating all that flour. Yeah, and you're not eating something that's going to spike your blood sugar to infinity. And vegetable oil. <laughs> In vegetable oil <laughs> with maple syrup. <laughs> I don't like it. I, I've never liked pancakes and maple syrup. It's too much, it's too much like, it's too much of a good thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it was just like, that's, that's overkill for me. I, I was but a, I know I'm in the minority because everybody seems to love pancakes. That seems to be the thing. Yeah, I was not. I mean, I, when I found French toast, especially sourdough French toast, 
that I was all in on that pancakes. That got you. Yeah. Pancakes, not, you know, I just, yeah. Same with you. Never really. It's like, okay. Wasn't as great. So I just find too, when you stop eating that stuff and then you go back and have some, it doesn't, I don't know, stuff made with that processed, even if it's a really high quality thing, it just, it doesn't, you, that's why you need the butter and the maple syrup because it doesn't have like a good flavor. A sweet potato has a really good flavor to me. It does. You remember when we were eating, what was it? You know, that not butter and eating the, the, the diet yep. syrup. Diet, <laughs> diet Aunt Jemima or whatever. It's, it's, like, wa- it's like water syrup. Oh. So gross. <laughs> I remember the kids, like, I remember when French toast sticks were in. Mm-hmm. I feel like that was my, because my little brother's nine years younger than I am, and he was the era of French toast sticks. Mm-hmm. And then, like, that diet syrup, and that's what he ate for me. <laughs> so gross. Oh, I was, when I was in high school, I remember stopping at Burger King and getting the French toast sticks. And, totally. you know, eating them in the car on the drive back home from morning practice. Yes. Oh, my God. What a lovely when I, way. When I was in college at Emory... I would be driving from my apartment to school and I didn't have time for breakfast and I would stop at the Chevron and I would get those club crackers that were filled with cheese and then I would get I would get like that some sort of big gulp soda a pack of cigarettes and um uh goodies headache powder <laughs> cuz I was probably hungover <laughs> Yeah Welcome to 1993. <laughs> the things we did to our bodies back yeah, then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Real smart. <laughs> All right. So back to this cast iron pan. So yes, there's some oil in there. Go ahead and cook it. And then mm-hmm. I guess what I'm starting to learn is that sometimes when it sticks, it means it's not ready yet to be flipped over or to yeah. be moved. Yeah. And 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 then, uh, you know, other times it means stuff is burning. <laughs> So, you know, you do have to be careful with the heat because a cast iron will, once it heats up, it distributes heat really, really well. But sometimes I like to heat, for instance, I'll do, I do a really simple steak. I just buy a ribeye because that's my favorite kind of steak and, you know, season it, salt and pepper. I put truffle salt on one side as well. And I put about a teaspoon of balsamic spread into the other side. And what I like to do is to get that cast iron pan hot. Like I have it on high heat for five to six minutes. Now, Keep in mind, I don't have a commercial grade stove. I have kind of a week. So five to six minutes, if you have a commercial grade stove, might explode everything. So just be aware of how hot your stove gets. But um, so when I put it on there, I, you know, it's super hot and it's it's ready to go and you get that nice sear on there. But yeah, sometimes when stuff is sticking, it means it's not ready to turn. Sometimes it might mean it's burning. Just keep an eye on it. And when you are doing sweet potatoes, you really gotta have a good I I like the Cafalon. Um, plastic scrapers because they don't melt and they have a sharp enough edge where you can really get under whatever's in your cast iron to f- to flip it. So a plastic scraper, like... so You the- can use a metal one because okay. it's just metal I- on metal. But I, for me, I, I have a pet peeve. I, I, whenever anyone sharpens steak knives or puts eats with the fork and puts their teeth along the top of the, of the fork when they go... You know what I mean? When they take uh-huh. the bite and they scrape the fork on the teeth and metal on metal. I have a thing. It's my thing. It's my thing. I own it. That's you okay. and the raw meat, me and the metal <laughs> on the teeth. We have our things. That's fine. I have to like, when I sharpen my knives at home, I do this thing where I, where I wrap my lips around my teeth where I like hold them <laughs> while I'm sharpening. It's the weirdest thing. I'm a mess. Oh, let's talk about sharpening knives because um, again, yeah, I believe that's something that needs to be outsourced. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's best if you can outsource it. But I also noticed that uh, when it when I'm not outsourcing it, if I sharpen it before every time I start cooking, it, it makes the cooking a lot easier. You sharpen it every time? Just like a few little things. Beep, 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 beep. Like 10, 10 of those. You know what I'm saying? It, it takes two seconds. Like, And then it gets it's ready to go. Do you have to wash it after you sharpen it? Oh, I don't, I don't do that. <laughs> Why am I eating metal shards? Probably. I probably have metal shards lodged in my body. Oh, Buy an organic, but then eating the metal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just steel. What's wrong with steel? It's an alloy. I'm fine. <laughs> 
Uh, my knives get sharpened once a year when my father-in-law comes up for Thanksgiving. <laughs> oh, that's good. I was telling my husband, I'm like, you need to take these down to the store downtown, to, down to Ace Hardware, because I saw a sign that they sharpen the knives. Yeah, it really does help if you can take them to a place or if you have a knife guy. Mm. And by the way, don't. this is also my advice. Don't buy a set of knives. Buy Really nice knives, the knives that you use. Buy, I like a big chef's utility knife. I like a, a large serrated and a small serrated and a pairing. And that's pretty much all I ever use. Okay. If you're going to buy a set of knives, buy a nice set of steak knives for, 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 you know, for that. So you, I think you have this on your blog, right? The, the knives, what, what kitchen appliances to buy? No, I need to put that on there. Thank you. You you do. And then I will link to it in the show. Okay, I will. So, um, you know, this is great because we just, so here's, here's my deal with the cast iron. I just have this thing of, oh, it's old, go and buy a new one, (laughs) which drives my husband crazy. Um, We have, (laughs) he's like, really, you need to go buy something new. Um, And uh, so we have two sets of knives, the blocks. One was mm-hmm. his from, oh gosh, probably 25 years ago. And then, I don't know, probably 15 years ago or 17 years ago for Christmas, my brother-in-law gave us, you know, a, a really nice knife set. So they stick on our counter, take up being, taking up space. And I was like, we need right. to get rid of it. Then right. The old knife set, it's great because there's steak knives in there. And so it's been holding that. We don't use any of the other knives because they're not so great, but we use the right. steak knives. Use the steak knives, yeah. And I, and I thought, God, if I can get rid of that block and even keep the steak knives, or my solution was get rid of those and go buy new steak knives. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> are they good steak knives? They, I mean, they cut they cut really well. The, the handles aren't so great, but they're, they're fine. They do a yeah. good job in cutting the meat and yeah. stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, and so and I was thinking because we have space in our drawers, we can put in, you know, how they sometimes have those wooden blocks where you can stick in your knives. That's something that we would want. Then I can have less clutter on my counter space. Yeah. That's my goal. Yeah. I inherited a, a really nice set of knives from my mom and I already had some nice knives, but this getting a really nice set that were newer, it was interesting. It was like, oh, these are really nice knives. And I realized why it's because she never cooked. <laughs> she never used them. So they were so sharp. And now I've noticed I've already dulled them and I've got to uh, take them in. You'd be surprised. It really, if any knife gives you trouble, if you have to like press really hard or you might risk, oh, there's my timer. There we go. Sorry about that. Are you leaving me? <laughs> yeah, I got to go. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it's funny, you kind of get acclimated to your own knives and you don't realize how unsharp they are until you use a sharp knife. And it's so much easier to cook with. Well, you know, it's interesting because I know which one of my cooking knives are really dull and I stay away from them, especially cutting bell peppers. I need mm-hmm. a sharp knife for that. Yeah, you do. Because those things, they won't catch because yeah. the skin can be a little tough sometimes. Ooh, so I was thinking, I don't even know what this is called, but um, I... I have a little garlic fetish. I love garlic, and it's one of my favorite awesome. things. Is yeah, to me pe- too. I love to peel garlic. You do. I love it, but it takes a long time. It's like forty minutes of peeling garlic. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. So, but I just—I mean, I love it. I think it's just the—it's so fun for me. It's hilarious. But um, we have a small little mini Cuisinart that's again really old. That's great. Like you can throw in the the gar- uh, the garlic in there and. and chop them up, but then you have to wash it. And sometimes, you know, recipe will only call for two, two cloves. I'll put in like eight instead. And um, so I've been using my knife and I was like, gosh, I want one of those that are a flat bottom with like the handle on top to chop the knives. Do you know what I'm talking about? Or chop the garlic? Oh, wait, wait, what? (laughs) Wait, describe it again. It's, it has like a, it, it's not a knife with the handle at the end. Like you hold the top of the knife and you go down and you chop and then you scrape oh. it and you chop and you scrape and you chop. I've seen those chopper things. Maybe. It's, but I don't, I, yeah, I haven't seen one of those. Interesting. It's not a nut. It's not a nut chopper. Maybe I'm right. making this up. I don't know. I'm no, no, you probably, <laughs> now it's just, it's one more thing I need to buy at Sur La Table. So thank you. <laughs> oh, I didn't even know that existed. I need one of those. So listeners, if you know what I'm talking about, tell me about it if you own one. But um, yeah, so that's what I was like, God, that would actually be fun to chop garlic with this. So that's my latest. These are the thoughts that go in my head while I'm that's cooking. That's awesome. 
<laughs> yeah, garlic can be a pain, and then your hands get stinky. Your fingers get stinky for like three days afterwards, even though you've showered and washed your hands a bunch of times. I'm in a I'm in a constant state of garlic, so it doesn't matter. You love it. You love it. That's great. Okay, so the the utensils we really need are chef's utility knife, a large serrated knife, a small serrated knife. Those are the ones with the bumpy edges, right? Yeah. And then exactly, and that's for uh, honestly, it's for tomatoes and bread. And I find that a serrated knife, the large serrated knife, carves a chicken better than the chef's utility knife. You know, the yeah, because I always use the large serrated knives one to cut bread. Yeah, and bread too. And my husband uses for that. it to cut meat. Yeah. I, it depends on the meat. Like sometimes, like you were saying, flank steak, if I'm if I'm cutting thin slices of flank steak, I'll want to use the chef's knife for that. Mm-hmm. But um, but like last night I roasted my trusty chicken. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, I used the serrated knife on that. It just seems to cut through. You know what a serrated knife, because what it does is it catches, it's not pressing into. So if you press into a tomato, you're going to ruin the tomato. It needs to just catch and start cutting. That's why, and bread too, and chicken skin. You know, it's the same idea. Oh, so you should use that for my chicken. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's what I say. Okay. You can well. use whatever you want, but that's, that's you know. These are just little tricks, just little tricks to help in the kitchen. Uh, that's it's all good it's nuggets right it's not perfection it's just this is what works for you interesting okay i will try that because i've always in my brain it was no that's the bread knife why would i use meat he must be doing it wrong no (laughs) no it's it just depends on the like on the kind of cut that you want on the thing that you're cutting and the kind of cut that you want and the more you experiment with it the more you'll just have your preferences okay how long does it take you to make dinner um, 20, 30 minutes when I know what I want to make, mm-hmm. popping in and out and preparing. Now, last night was long, it roast to chicken is longer. Like I know that I ha- around three or four o'clock, I got to take the chicken out of the thing, rinse it off, dry it off. Uh, what I do is I dry brine it. So I take salt and I pour it in the inside of the cavity and then I rub salt on the outside and then I stick Ugh. it back in the fridge. <laughs> but it makes it so flavorful. I put it back and juicy too. I put it back in the fridge till I'm ready to cook. And I take it out about a half an hour before. And then to roast, that was a pre- for an organic bird. It was pretty big. But to roast a three to four pound bird in my oven, I generally want to go for an hour to an hour and 15 at 400. And I turn it down at the end at the skin starting to burn. So that takes longer. But I also threw a sweet potato in the oven. I just kind of did it all at once. And then I, about halfway through that, you know, I'm watching TV, come back in, tend to stuff, watch a little more TV, come back in, make some other food for the kids that were over. You know, it was just, I spend a lot of time in the kitchen. <laughs> but I can get it down like pretty, pretty, pretty easily. And my husband helps. He's like, he's like a good sous chef. He knows do you, do you guys have kind of a set time every night to eat dinner? No. I mean, things are a lot more loosey-goosey now that my, my kid is 15 and a half. Mm-hmm. In fact, the fact that she was even there last night was a miracle because it's summer now and she's like, bye-bye. <laughs> she's always at someone else's house. And in fact, she was only there for a few hours and they were like, we're leaving. Uber, bye. And they like, <laughs> took off. I was like, all right. So one of the things that, because um, I'm I'm on the pool deck in the afternoon, so then we come home and we eat. And, you know, when you come home from some practice, the last thing you, my kids want to do is wait for food. Right, they're starving. And so, you know, when you have a 40-minute garlic infatuation, it does make my process longer. <laughs> right. But yeah. what, it, so I will sometimes try to prep beforehand. That way I can just cook it when I walk in the door. That's um, good. Or I'll cook it. But I've um the, I got this brilliant idea on Tuesday night because I wanted to make I think was it I wanted to make the fajitas and there's all that chopping and stuff and I wanted to marinate the meat and I looked at my the day the next day and I really didn't have that kind of space to do stuff during the day before I went to practice right so that night after I ate after we made dinner which was like steak eggs no eggs bacon and sweet potato hash because mm. that was 
if we had breakfast for dinner because that was what we had, right? There was. I love breakfast for dinner. It's a good go-to when there's nothing ready to go and I can do it quick. But so after we ate dinner, I wound up prepping all my food on Tuesday night for Wednesday. I was like, wow, why didn't I ever think of this before? You know, to right. have it ready to go where the meat was marinating, the vegetables well, were all cut up and then the fridge. Think about it in a restaurant. That's what they're doing all day to prep for dinner service. They're prepping all, every cutting everything. So it's just literally ready to cook on command. Mm-hmm. The moment somebody calls out an order, it's ready to cook. Cooking, the difficult part of cooking is not the actual cooking. It's all the prep when you're making fresh stuff. Mm-hmm. And there, I know there's some, like I, I have a really great shepherd's pie that uses a cauliflower mash on the top instead of mashed potatoes. Mm-hmm. And it's a wonderful recipe, but it is labor intensive because you've got to prep so many vegetables, like so many vegetables. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, it's much greater. It's much more fun when you have somebody helping in the kitchen or I just decide I'm just going to Zen out and just start chopping stuff. But yeah, th- that wouldn't be the meal that I would make when I'm coming home from the West side from recording all day. And I don't get home till seven 30. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's yeah. when I just want to take chicken breasts and then dump, gluten-free teriyaki sauce over them and bake it for 30 minutes and just and throw some sort of vegetable. You know what I mean? That's that's when you're going to make the simpler thing. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Because, um, and, and having that kind of agility of where you are, I mean, and I think with your life and my life, there's, there's these things that, you know, happen. Like our schedules can be the same, but then there can be these fluctuations or our kids and stuff and being able to be adaptable. So, yeah you know, giving ourselves that permission or like for me to say, well, I was, you know, when again, walking around the grocery store, it's okay, Corinne, this is what works. You're not going to be coming in on Sunday and coming back next Sunday. This is what works. And one of the things I love broccoli and putting broccoli and garlic and roasting it. Mm-hmm. So again, one of the nights earlier in the week, I just chopped it all up. And here's what I do. I don't know if you do this, but I have a laptop or my iPad or something and I'm watching some show on Netflix as I'm chopping up. So it's just kind of fun for me, right? It's a great yeah. way for me to watch TV and get some stuff done. And so last night was great because I had that chopped up broccoli, threw that in the pan while I was making winter. Oh, I think we had chicken fajitas. It was a couple Yum. of nights. Yeah, we had steak fajitas the night before and then chicken last night because I still Good job. And then tonight it's going to be leftovers. Great. But I need more avocados. <laughs> I have a tendency to not do leftovers for dinner. Because I have such a weird, because now I'm down to like fewer, <laughs> fewer things. No, it's not very few, but it's fewer things than it was. No gluten, obvi, mm-hmm. with the celiac. Um, no dairy, no eggs, no sesame. So um, I'm down, that, I'm down cool. a few things. So I have to like, I actually for breakfast, I'm going to have like this morning before we talked, I grabbed the chicken that I'd cut off the bone. And I'm going to make a good uh, chicken stock. I have it sitting out ready to get started when we're done. Um, uh, so yeah, I had, I basically ate chicken for breakfast. Just chicken. <laughs> I had a seven almonds as well. I was like, ah, it's almonds. Got to keep myself tied over. So I want to talk about breakfast options. Yeah. So you do a lot of leftovers of dinner for breakfast. I do because I mean some people can't handle it, but I've always preferred a savory breakfast over a sweet breakfast. Anyway, like I said, I never really liked pancakes. I always liked bacon and eggs, and that. But we were told for so long that bacon and eggs are unhealthy, so you don't want to have it too much. You actually want to have whole grain cereals, and, <laughs> and then come to find out that it, it's the opposite. But for me personally, I don't want to have too many. Well, now I'm not having eggs because of the inflammatory response, but but I don't want to have that much heavy fat in the morning because it doesn't make me feel good. But a few mornings a week, I'll have bacon. But I like to have, I do a shake in the morning sometimes. And a shake is for me, I have to have some fat in the shake. Like coconut oil. I put, here's what I put in the shake. And this is going to seem crazy to folks who aren't off the sugar yet. But, um, I put in like a tablespoon. Of, this is for two people. I split this with my husband. A tablespoon, like a chunk of coconut oil. Bloop. Um, I'm assuming that it's hardened. If it's above 72 degrees, it'll be liquid. Um, <clears throat> I put about 10 almonds or maybe a, you know, a handful of walnuts, whatever nut I have available. Um, 
I put about a cup of fresh berries, whatever's on hand, low glycemic berries, whatever's in season. Uh, and I'll put in frozen, maybe I'll make it half and half fresh and frozen because you want to have a little bit of that frozen smoothie flavor. Uh, I put a cup of water in, unless I have a green veggie juice, I'll use that for the liquid. And um, I used to put in Greek yogurt, but now I'm not having dairy, so I don't do that. I'll put a half an avocado in there to make it nice and creamy. And then I'll top it off by packing about two cups of packed spinach. And then whatever, like if I want to put some chia seeds or flax seeds or whatever, cod liver oil, you know what I mean? Whatever like supplements that you want to mask in a smoothie, that's a good time to put that stuff in there. Wheatgrass powder or whatever you're doing that you want to put in the shake. And um, I'll have that. And uh, But I will, even with the coconut oil in there, I feel like in an hour again, I'm going to be hungry. So I will have like, maybe I'll make a piece of bacon. Mm-hmm. Have a piece or two of bacon. Because the fat is important. I just found that when I went, the first time I went, quote unquote, low carb, I was I was way overdoing it with the, the fatty foods. And I just didn't feel good. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Does the adding more protein help with you uh, not getting as hungry quickly? Um, adding fat does. Oh, adding more protein, oddly enough, doesn't. I think that's another one of those diet myths where they say add protein to keep you satiated, but fat is the thing that actually satiates you. So that's why an avocado in there. Like if I just did coconut oil, it's not enough. I have to have something else in there. Like half an avocado tends to work. Um. Protein's good. Like the chicken that I had will tide me over for a little bit, but it's not the same as it. Although keep in mind, the chicken that I make, I pour, I rub olive oil all over the chicken Mm -hmm. because it helps with the glistening (laughs) chicken skin. Mm -hmm. Now, will you eat chicken skin if it's cooked? Mm. No, because it's so programmed in my head that it's bad for you. Mm, Okay. I hear you. Um. The chicken skin, when you roast a chicken, yes, it it gets crispy, but some of it renders down and kind of drips off into the drippings. And that's what you repeatedly baste the chicken with. So you're like putting the fat back into the chicken. Mm-hmm. Um, so a roasted chicken, you actually get a little more fat in the actual bits of chicken. So even if you're eating white meat, it's kind of covered in the chicken juices. Mm-hmm. So you're getting a little more fat in there. So that's why it's a little more filling than if you just buy chicken breasts and cook that, that has almost no fat. You're going to want to make something, you're going to want to make something like that's going to fill you up. Like I like to do a sweet potato and I put smart balance in there, but you can put butter, you know what I mean? Something that's, you're going to need a little, or maybe make your green beans and some oil. You're going to need to add some fat into that meal. Cause you'll find that, why am I so hungry? I had protein. It's because you didn't have the fat with it. No, that's right. Because one of my favorite restaurants in town, it's a little uh, cafe, but I have this Fuji salad with chicken. And I know when I have that, it's crazy because I'm just, I'm, I'm much more hungry, mm-hmm. you know, like late, uh, earlier than I normally would be. And so I always have to remind myself I need to get like half an avocado or something on there. Yeah. I, I'll do that at places where they have a really good salad, but I know that you know, the oil and vinegar on the dressing is just not going to satiate me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now we talked about olive oil. I have a question for you mm-hmm. besides the, the text that I sent you that one day. <laughs> oh yeah. Remember? What was it? What did the, you text me? The goop from the Via Capelli. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. The res, the uh, sediment, the sediment. Yeah. They do it. It's set in good olive oil will have sediment in it. I was like, <laughs> and you had a particularly high amount. <laughs> And that's it. Were you at the very end of your bottle? I was, yeah, I was at the okay. very end. This yeah, happens. I just, I throw it out, but I was, like, I was like, wait, what's happening to my olive oil? So I finally asked you, um, but with olive oil and cooking, and one of the things I'm always worried about, because we do like to use olive oil. My family's not big mm-hmm. keen on, on the avocado oil and they do not like cooking with coconut oil. I, do, I don't like it either. I know people swear by it and it's huge, huge in the paleo community. And I am thankful, very thankful for the, the progress we've made using coconuts to substitute for dairy because I need that. Like coconut cream I use in my coffee, um, 
all the coconut substitutes I'm really grateful for. But for some reason, cooking with coconut oil tastes nasty mm. to me. I don't know what it is. But if everybody, it's a personal preference. So try it. Yeah. No, I mean, I've tried and I've made fajitas with it. My family has just been very adamant. They do not like it. So I cook a lot with olive oil. Me too. And then I'm always worried like, oh gosh, I can't, you know, I can't have the heat too high. Okay. Now I'm going to dispel this myth. And okay. this is like, this is like one of my life's missions. Um, did you ever watch Mad Men? Yes. Okay. So basically you see all those scenes where a client comes in and says, we basically need to, to BS people into buying this stuff. Mm-hmm. The whole olive oil smoke point dangerous thing is a marketing ploy. And guess who started it? The vegetable oil companies? Close. The grapeseed oil people, actually. Because grapeseed oil is a newer oil. And it's a great oil. I actually like cooking with grapeseed oil as well. It doesn't have... It's very flavorless. It's more... It's closer in flavor to a canola. Oh, God. Here come the plumbers. Look out. There might be some noise. Just warning you. Um, but, uh, but and grapeseed oil does have a slightly higher smoke point than olive oil. However... Unless you're repeatedly frying things, maybe olive oil is not the best oil for that. Maybe grapeseed or peanut oil would be better for that. Fresh, replacing it every time. Um, however, I personally don't fry a lot of stuff. I don't know how much folks are frying stuff. Maybe if you're frying chicken every now and then, great. But frankly, <laughs> we don't all need to be frying stuff all the time. But that, But you're not going to make the oil burn and become carcinogenic. It's BS. Unless you have it up at a high heat and you're frying something at a high heat, in which case, yes, choose another oil. But if you're sauteing your family's meal, you're cooking, you're just doing regular cooking that you would do in a pan, you're going to be fine. So like medium or medium high heat's okay with olive oil? Totally. Okay. Totally. Yeah, because I've been trying to keep it at medium or lower than that. And I one of the recipes for the fajitas this week said medium high for the yeah, vegetables. Yeah, most of my recipes are medium high because you've got to get the heat. Mm-hmm. You've got to get the heat. Okay. Or else things just kind of like slow cook and have a weird, they get a gummy texture, like a weird. Soggy broccoli. Soggy broccoli, just weird gummy chicken. You know what I mean? Like you want to you wanna have the heat higher. So that is the grapeseed oil folks came on the scene, I want to say like 10 to 15 years ago. And a big thing that they did was they did this whole marketing ploy to use grapeseed oil instead of olive oil because olive oil smoke point is too high and it's a carcinogenic. Mm-hmm. It's BS. And you can find out more information in one of the best books if you're obsessed with food like I am. Uh, it's a book called Extra Virginity, The Sublime and Scandal of the Olive Oil World written by Tom Mueller or Muller. I don't know how to say his name. Uh, fantastic, interesting book on the history of olive oil and how basically it's olive oil has been king since in the Mediterranean, obviously, since the dawn of man. Um, but it talks about in the present day, all the scandal, the food fraud, the fraud with olive oil, how olive oil in our country is cut. Mm-hmm. And, and when I stayed your Villa Capelli, when I stayed at Villa Capelli three and a half years ago, Paul Capelli was the first one who told me, you know, your oil over there is stepped on. And I was like, whatever. He's just trying to get me to buy his oil. <laughs> and then that book came out and all these exposés about olive oil came out. What they do, the big companies like Bertolli, Colavita, there's all these big, you'll, you'll see them in the grocery store. They're all these huge companies. They, first of all, they don't grow, the, they say Italian olive oil. But the olives actually aren't from Italy. They're from, which is fine, but just like label it as such. Um, they're from Tunisia. They're from Spain. Um, there they go. They're the plumbers. Uh, they bring in mass quantities of oil that have already been made in other countries. They bring it into Italy. Now the oil's been around for a while. And the, the rule is with olive oil, you want as young as possible. You want old wine, young olive oil. That's the rule, right? You don't want aged olive oil. It's a misconception. So, they bring in the oil and maybe it's gone a little rancid. So they have to put stuff in it to make it not rancid. They put deodorizers. They put, maybe it's a pale oil because it's not high quality. You want olive oil to be like, have a little greenish tint to it. You want it to have flavor. It's not supposed to be a mild oil with no flavor. It's supposed to have some flavor. Um, 
Hold on. Telling my daughter to take an Uber. <laughs> um, so she's like, come pick me up now. <laughs> I'm on the air. Yeah, I'm on the air, kid. <laughs> Busy. So they do this stuff to the olive oil and it's all legal and it's all kind of accepted. Now, another thing that they do is they will cut the oil with cottonseed, canola, safflower, sunflower oil, all those seed oils that the Italians call lampante, which is their word for lamp oil. Like you'll burn it, but you don't want to eat it. Um, so I would really stay away from any of the big mass marketed olive oils and start doing some research and get some nice ones. There's some great ones grown in California that I think are popping up all over grocery stores all over the U.S. Um, and look into that. There's some really great olive oils, but it's, it, it is more expensive yeah, to get this up. And, and what blew my mind was that the FDA allows all this stuff to happen and it's not labeled as such. But that's a whole nother show right there. That's a whole nother show. Food fraud, baby. <laughs> and that's why another good reason to eat as fresh as possible, even though it's a pain in the butt to have to chop an onion every night. I don't know. Just, well, well, it's just better than, you know, the alternative. You know, the, the, the other night I was going to the grocery store and um, I saw there's now I'm seeing this trend of more healthier, like fresher kind of food companies coming out. And uh, or at least labels, and um, so I saw these sweet potatoes. They, I think they're sweet potato fries, and I'm like, oh! And they were on sale, and so I looked at it, and I flipped over the package, and it had vegetable oil. So I put it back, right? Because we really like our sweet potato hash. It doesn't take me that long. Actually, my kids like to hand shred them, which is amazing. Um, That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so they really like to do that. Or I, I pull out the Cuisinart for it, but. You know, that was something was if I'm going to eat vegetable oil, I'm going to choose to do that once I go out when I choose to go out to eat. I don't need to bring it into my yeah, house. Yeah, I mean, you can't avoid it in a restaurant, even the nicest restaurants. They all use vegetable oil. So it's not like so that's why exactly what you're saying, like eat as best as you can at home. And then when you're out in the world, it's like, OK, fine. Mm -hmm. Well, I know there's a lot of biohackers. There's a lot of popular podcasters that they're like, well, I just won't even have a steak unless it's grass fed. I'm like, well, that's not realistic. Like <laughs> do the best you can at home and then go live your life. Mm -hmm. I like that. And then with olive oil. So if for the, the Via Capelli is great olive oil. I love it. Um, but we've talked about another olive oil that maybe may be more available for the masses. One that you can get in a warehouse. I know. You know what? <clears throat> I I like the Costco one. Um, and that is, by the way, if you Google UC or this is for the people who are super nerdy like me, if you Google UC Irvine olive oil study, they do an olive oil study every year, and it's I not. Thought it, I thought it was UC Davis. Oh, sorry. Thank you, UC Davis olive oil study. That's my hometown. Be I know because they're the ones with the the agricultural viticulture that whole program. That they mm -hmm. do, yeah. We're an ag for, for olives and wine. It sounds like a wonderful place to go to school <laughs> and get and just major in wine and olive oil. It sounds great and beer. They have microbrewery. Oh, now. they have a beer thing too. Oh my god! Can you imagine going to college and learning how to make beer as and, part of your college curriculum? That's amazing. And we have a tractor class. Perfect. So you get drunk and you go on a tractor pull. Though this cow tipping thing, I didn't even see a cow until after I graduated. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, it's good. You don't want to tip the cows. Okay. Well, They're so sweet. Um, I'll put the well, links to that on the website. Yeah. So they do a they do a study every year, and uh, Kirkland Extra Virgin Olive Oil Organic Extra Virgin, and, and it comes in like a big jug. Um, that I use that a lot for cooking um, when I don't, because the Villa Capelli is a little more expensive, so I don't I, I get chintzy with that. <laughs> but um, <laughs> and I even buy the three liter tins of the Villa Capelli. But um, but yeah, no, there are a lot of good olive oils, but there are more bad ones. So you just kind of got to be aware. Sorry, let me. Uh... All right, Miss Anna. Well, let's. Yay! We did it. We did it. We talked a lot about cooking, so this oh, is fun. I talk about it all day. We Thank will, you, sweetheart. We will probably be talking more about it. <laughs> good. <laughs> what fun! I love being the cooking newbie and having the chance to talk about cooking with someone who does not judge me for my lack of ability or knowledge or even thinking that I have stupid questions. She doesn't do that. Isn't Anna awesome? I just love that about her. And, and the other thing I love about Anna is she's not about being perfect, but about working with what you have and within your priorities. 
thank heavens, there's so much shoulds out there of what we are supposed to do, who we're supposed to be, how we're supposed to act. I just love it. She's real. I also loved what she said about do the best that you can and then go live your life. Like, Don't be a slave to the way that you want to eat or the rules that you think that you have to live by. And one of the things that I have to say is that I really own this idea that I'm a cooking newbie. I've been cooking for a couple of years. I don't have any shame or any guilt about it. Because remember, shame means I am bad and guilt is I did something bad. And for years, I made a really deliberate decision to not know how to cook. It wasn't out of shame or, or guilt. I just made a decision to choose not to cook. And part of it was I was rebelling against being a nice female or gender roles of what I was supposed to do. So I wasn't going to be like that. I was going to not know how to cook so I didn't have to take care of other people. It was my little rebellion. I wanted to be a career person and not be limited because of being a female, which is, that's a whole nother show that I could talk about. But one of the ways that I took action was to never learn how to cook. You know, sure, I could do the basics. I can make French toast, a hint to what I was talking about earlier, scrambled eggs. I knew how to have cereal. And before I left for college, I actually had an old boyfriend teach me how to make pasta. And I'm not saying hand pasta or fresh pasta, like the kind that you take out of a box and you put in boiling water. Seriously, that's one of the things that I learned before I went up to college. Um, I once had a client who said she was so sorry that I didn't have a mom who knew how to cook well. And if you remember, if you recall that another show, my mom was an incredible cook. I just did not want to be tied down. And what I believed was disempowered by cooking. I had this limiting belief around it. I also figured that there was no way I could be perfect in the kitchen and match my mother's standards. So I, I did not bother to even try and put myself out there. So as you can see with all these stories, I was really being an emotional child with these decisions. They were deliberate decisions, but I was disempowering myself instead of saying, what is it that I want? I was reacting to my environment. I was rebelling to society's rules of a woman and my mom's standards for me in all areas of my life, right? So a few years ago, I realized my deliberate decision to not cook actually left me disempowered. I was dependent on others to cook for me. My neighbors cooked quite a bit in 2012 when my husband was gone because my husband's always been the cook. And I believed my cooking, my cooking had to be perfect and flawless. And I made these unrealistic standards that created a mental prison in my mind about what was possible for me. It just didn't even allow me to go there. I limited my abilities with my mindset and the beliefs that I listened to inside of my head it wasn't a fun place to be. I had a fixed mindset about cooking. And remember Carol Dweck's message about mindset. The fixed mindset is very limited on our growth abilities because we define who we are by the mistakes that we make. Whereas a growth mindset, it's really about asking ourselves the questions of, oh, I failed. What can I learn from this? And not defining ourselves. So here I was in this place of cooking and I was in a fixed mindset and I had all the shame. I was really rooted in shame, not knowing this, but I was because I had the voice in the back of my head saying, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I can't do this. I can't. Corinne, you love chicken fajitas, but you can't make that. The only place you can get that is at the restaurant. That was really disempowering. I think about those messages I was allowing to swim around in my mind all day long. Think about it. I eat at least three times a day. Would you want to live in my mind? In the mind where it was like a swimming pool filled of beliefs of you're not enough instead of water? Yikes. It's really disempowering. But when I made that decision to learn how to cook, I also changed what I believed. Instead of thinking I had to do it perfectly, I reframed my thought to a growth mindset of, I can learn this. This takes practice. Maybe next time, instead of starting with ribeyes, I will choose hamburgers. That thought did go through my head one day as, as I was grilling ribeyes. And that would create a bit less stress in my body because the stress was from, I don't want to waste any money. Now, every day I cook, I give myself permission that it does not have to be perfect, that this is an experiment and my cooking does not define me. I now really enjoy taking care of myself and my family. I enjoy being able to have one of my favorite meals, fajitas, in my own home. That's so empowering when I can say, I can create this. And I love that I can make them so yummy. And cooking with 
ingredients that are aligned with my own value system. So cooking used to be horrifying for me and I thought a huge waste of time. It's now something I enjoy and I'm having fun with. Thanks so much for taking the time out of your day to listen to the show and listening to Anna and I talk about kitchen cooking and food. I really appreciate it. And one of the ways that you and I can connect is by my newsletter. Join our community at howshereallydoesit.com and sign up for my weekly newsletter to get even more great resources to create a life you love, plus some insights from me that I only share in the emails. And you never have to worry about missing a show because I'll send them to you as well. A special thanks to Anna for talking about kitchen food and cooking and not judging me for being a cooking newbie. The great thing about being a newsletter subscriber is that you have the direct link to the show notes for this conversation with Anna. And in those show note links are links to her recipes, the kitchen must-haves that she talked about, and those great resources that she mentioned, the book that she mentioned on olive oil, uh, the kind of olive oil that she and I both love to have. And then you can also, if you really want to geek out, the UC Davis olive oil study. I'll have that all on the show notes. And if you like what you're hearing, please let me know. Head over to iTunes and leave a rating or comment there. And it's time to do a shout out to River Trout 498555 for taking the time to leave a comment on iTunes. And when you leave a comment, drop me an email or tweet me so that I know who you are because River Trout 498855, while I appreciate everything you wrote, really warms my heart. I want to know who you are. I want to know your story. So let me know so I can connect that. And there are directions on the show notes. I know it's complicated to do an iTunes review. That's not really helping you, inspire you to motivate you to go do it. But I really appreciate it and it does help the show. So until next time, I'm smiling big for you. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wide awake.